In the city, we gon' slide, bet I be there pronto Me, my guys, we really live Lord, forgive me, pay my tithes Please don't have me reach inside And that's in the console Keep the semi when I ride Let off Henny when I drive In the city, we gon' slide Bet I be there pronto What's good with the family? What's good with the people? What's good in everybody in social media land? This is the Chop Up. I am Damo, the political plug. I'm here with my family to get into the business of this news and dialogue. I'm here with Toya G. I'm here with Consciously. How are y'all feeling this Thursday evening? I'm feeling great. Gotta shout out these comments though. Real quick. Kano said, just like you know, you go to the party, you already know before you go in there, I'm gonna just run in here real quick and say what's up, show my face and dip. Kano said, I'm just in here for a second. I just want to let y'all know I'm in the building. We appreciate that. Even that slide through is important. Desme, uh, two is one. Uh, fucking Bunny. Uh, who else? Barbara, Clarissa, <laughs> Alicia, Eric, all y'all. What's up to you? Fuego, Mac, to uh, everybody. Concepcion, Van Zant. We love it. <laughs> I love that name, by the way. I want to shout y'all out specifically for sliding the show. And real quick, before we get started, I got to shout out two other people. Who, real quick, I said I was going to shout them out. I'm going to go. Show love, me. show love. You know what I'm saying? Galaxy oh. Golf XD. Galaxy Golf XD never watches our show in real time, but they have a weekend ritual of going to the Chop Up Shows YouTube, pulling it up, putting it on the TV, having brunch, kicking back, starting off their Saturday. So I got to shout out Galaxy Golf because they always post and let us know that they're in there. And then I am Don. Yeah. I am Don Vassin. On our Instagram as well, been, been sharing a bunch of posts, been showing a whole bunch of love. So I want to shout them out specifically for showing love to the IG. If y'all not following us on IG, uh, go to uh, at the Chop Up Show, at the Chop Up Show, at the Chop Up Show, and make sure y'all stay connected with us over there. What's up, Odie in the building? Joel in the building. Them is the debate What's up? Uh, to them. It's a lot of people in the comments going up, but I just wanted to show that a little bit of love. I'm gonna turn it over to Lee real quick. My bad. I just I got overwhelmed by the love in the world. Shout out to all the supporters, man. We appreciate y'all. You know, definitely appreciate y'all tapping in for us talking the shit that we talk, you know, being able to try to, uh, 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 what we gonna say, provoke some critical thinking. You feel me? Shout out to y'all. To, try to, you know, critical thinking don't come in, uh, uh, as, as often as it should. So hopefully we can add to that conversation. But anyway, with all the introductions and hellos and what's ups and shout outs done, man, we breaking news. I think, I think, I think it's, it's still early enough for us to say breaking news. Kyrie Irving suspended five games by the Brooklyn Nets. We're gonna start this out with the with the vibe check. I know how we do. We checking the vibe. Uh he's been under a lot of scrutiny due to him sharing a documentary, uh, a black Hebrew Israelite documentary, um, that purports that black people are the Jews that the Bible speaks of, the Hebrews, the Israelites that the Bible speak of. Um so first I want to get y'all wait when 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 the news dropped that Kyrie was Kyrie was suspended. Yeah, you know I mean, initial reaction. What was the vibe? I was shocked. Um, I was shocked. I didn't. I thought that this was going to be an ongoing kind of disagreement. Last I heard, Adam Silver, who was the NBA commissioner, wanted to sit down and talk to Kyrie. He was upset and disappointed with his lack of an apology. But I thought this was going to maintain itself as an off the court kind of battle of perspective and of words and of uh, due diligence. And so I didn't ever right. think it would become that punitive to the point where it's like not just one game, it's five games. Like Kyrie just the other day, 
uh, $500,000 along with, I think, the Nets organization or something like that to learning and processing anti-Semitism. So I felt like that was material enough. But here we go with these suspensions. So I was kind of surprised that they swung that hard on it a little bit. I ain't going to hug you. Swing hard. Lee. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was uh I was surprised as well, just given just like the in terms of basketball, like late call. We playing street ball and it's just like, hey, there's been a lot of plays. Like you calling in the play, like that's how I kind of seen it as well. And it really just made it where just like the 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 leadership in many different instances of the NBA, Adam Silver and the people that was able, like his his board and office that was able to make this call, to me it just seemed like very sloppy, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, like, like kind of like uh, not saying there's like there's a time that you can't talk about anti-Semitism or you can't call out things about anti-Semitism, but it's like there should have been a call from the jump. To Lee's point, this yeah. whole notion of a late call, I think you know a lot of conversation in the backdrop of, the, of Kanye and with Kyrie is they just proving this point. Mm-hmm. And they go proving this point. They proving this point. And mm-hmm. so I think an interesting component of this in the idea of late call. Or the, from that perspective is y'all let him play y'all let him do mm. interviews y'all let him spout more of his insistence and then all of a sudden it's like y'all have these back room conversations who y'all been talking to who y'all been mm-hmm. discussing stuff with and this is not to feed into this whole secret society secret group of power but it just it, it it alludes to the idea that there's something behind you pushing you and provoking you to make certain decisions when it seemed like he was making a decision another way and so i can understand people's skepticism like why now you know what i'm saying that makes a lot of sense to me yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think that it was what I got from it. My my first my first you know response was that oh, so he he wasn't sorry enough for y'all. He was sorry enough to break the bread. He was sorry enough to delete it. He didn't say I'm sorry though. He never said but, I'm. But sorry. that's he refuses but, to say I'm sorry. That's the he he stopped shot just of that line. But yeah, and 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 that, that's gonna be another just a, another quick check on 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 that. But to to me, it was just like in, in terms of how he responded it wasn't enough for what they felt comfortable with now mm-hmm. to be honest though when i first had the my really my real first thought was if y'all willing to suspend this man over over these type of tweets then every uh uh every trump trump supporter in the nba should be suspended every trump supporter in the nba yeah. should be suspended That's really we that it has to be some type of scrutiny over you know if, if we looking at if we looking at personal politics that heavily and the impact of personal politics to determine whether or not you're going to continue to play the game. Yeah. That means any far right attachments, far right association should deserves to be under that much scrutiny. Go ahead. Toya. Yeah, you know, I think I, I don't disagree. And I think what's interesting is that how Kyrie has treated it has been, I think, very careful and cautious to defend himself to defend kind of his right to be on a quest for knowledge and to learn and to seek more about whatever and to have that be a dynamic process. Uh, In one breath, I had somebody kind of coming at his neck because he is like an indigenous Muslim, potentially anti-Semitic, black, proud black, you said what? Hebrew Israelite. Hebrew Israelite that is an anti-vaxxer. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all of these we're kind of consistent yet inconsistent politics that people are really trying to figure out. But his kind of uh, step in, his, his kind of the stand, the ground he stands on is that he deserves the right to go out and seek knowledge that's denied to him. He even goes as far as to say, you know, one thing I've learned is, you know what I'm saying? I used to always wonder about this quote, the, the best, the work, the best thing you could do is how, if you want to hide knowledge from a nigga, put it in a book, put it in the book, yeah. knowledge, 
from a black person put it in a book. So now I just think people are upset because I'm finally getting into the books and getting to the knowledge that has been denied to me because of the way this racialized society has existed. And y'all just mad because I know who I am. And so there's a lot to unpack there because you can't be mad at that. And that's factually true as we have these conversations about critical race theory, feel how you want to feel, but it right. have been lied to. But the other side of that, and I think the danger of it is when you take the approach, the strategy, and the play-by-play, like bar-for-bar wordplay <clears throat> mm-hmm. of the conservative, problematic-ass white people that you say you're learning more about and getting up on, you sound just like them, so it's hard to believe. You know and in this instance, though, in this instance, I seen from from uh, from uh, Twitter people talking about the, what the what the actual documentary that Kevin, that, that uh, Kyle Reese, the Kyle Reese, uh, shared, and it has like you know things about uh, Jewish people being demons and being you know uh, 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 you know uh, uh, controlling controlling everything and being the uh, the people behind all the success in America. And, you know what I'm saying? Different things like that. So you know, I feel right. like. It's some, it's some, it's some, it's some. I feel like there's some uh, simple statements to be made. I think that you know what I'm saying in terms of like what Jewish people do and what Jewish people don't do. Because it's like are Jewish people trying to take reproductive rights. No, Jewish people. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, uh, trying to push their religion on us. No, Jewish people. But I do a lot of things. We can just like simple things we can displace. But also going back to the Kyrie thing is like. Again, and I know we're not, we're not a sports podcast, so I'll be I'll be like when I say this and now we can move on. But it does seem a good rule recognizing that the NBA is able to catch um uh, I mean find um what's his name that played for the uh for the Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards, Anthony, Anthony Edwards you know this season for, for being homophobic and for saying homophobic stuff, like explicitly being homophobic, it was like Fifty thousand dollar fine, no, no game suspended, and then seeing, you know, we shared a documentary, and it's like what this documentary is going. So I think that you know, I feel like uh, when it comes to recognizing, uh, uh, I guess, an inconsistency in being oppressive or using one's platform to send hate, you see, there's kind of a, a inconsistency in how and how heavy the hand comes down. And what what frustrates me about the whole thing is that. Far right conservatism is just as it, it not. I ain't even gonna say just as because how, how I how I view like when black I don't I don't think black people when they when they look at what you know the people in the Bible and interpret scripture mm-hmm. I don't think when they call themselves the people of the Bible I don't think that's anti semitic like that it it does it does it push back against a particular narrative of course like. And is that is that narrative very prominent and a powerful narrative? It, it is, but attaching yourself to the scripture and then find, and then you know interpreting the scripture in a way that actually puts pe- the, the the so-called black man or black woman in that position, then like that that okay now we have some conflict in how we interpret the scripture, but whether or not that equates to hate speech and anti-Semitism is completely different, especially when. I, I was just say this, especially when far right conservatism is 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 like the basis for a lot of these for for the, a lot of the anti semitic uh, arguments and anti semitic positions on who controls what in the world and all of those things that stems from far right conservatism. Donald Trump has a lot of attachments to people who have that understanding of the world and that understanding of those people. So it's like I I, I think it's unfair that some that somebody like Kyrie or even like LeBron in past instances was painted with that anti-Semitic light 
when the the understanding and and the the, the disagreement and and who's what doesn't stem from the same place that where anti-Semitism stem from. Go ahead, Toya. I mean, I think a huge part of their issue is not necessarily their enlightened interpretation of truth and what it is. It is that, you know, and us as arguers, us as debaters understand this. You don't have an argument problem. You have a packaging problem and you have a nuance problem. You have a framing issue. And so when you, for example, use your path to enlightenment to then not do research on what you're kind of putting up and propagating and you getting caught out and criticized about it. It's like you found some knowledge. You found something probably reasonable to listen to, to think about, but you used a tool of anti-Semitism to get there, which undermines your credibility. You've been, or example, for example, when you say we were the original Hebrews, that, that is a different, I think that statement strikes a different chord to people than black people are uh, uh, Jewish as well, right? We will get there. You know, we can hash out maybe what, the, the the history and the sequencing of like, but that is a little bit too abrasive and aggressive for some people because it sounds a whole lot like, you know, different schools of thought that undermine the right and the claim to uh, uh, Israeli heritage that a lot of Jews have had the confrontation with, right? So we don't want to do that, but we still want to be able to impart knowledge. And I think it's a fine line you have to walk in order to really be the free thinking, above the board thinking challenging the way that the status quo or presumption is this type of person that you want to be. You will never get there echoing the same sentiments in the same ways or using the same tools and apparatuses as people who have a clear disdain for Jewish people. It's just, it's not going to work for you. Like right. Right. I mean, cause we do have, we, we do end up falling into the pitfall, uh, into the, into the, uh, to the trap of utilizing the language and the rhetoric of people who don't have our best interest at heart to make the points that we want to make. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And That's so if you do have, that's the nuance. I think, really? I think I don't think it's about black people saying they're Jewish. I don't think it's about black people using scriptures to be able to, to, to be able to link themselves to the Jewish diaspora. I think it's that what Toya's talking about, like once you start making mutually exclusive statements that say you the ish, I'm the it, I am yeah. the real, you are the fake, and then it starts to buy into all of the literal Hitler-esque Nazi, you know what I'm saying, manufactured conspiracies that's been able to use to either A, have folks run into synagogues, B, have people, you know what I'm saying, do X, Y, and Z. And I can tell whatever, I, I just said some things that it pissed the algorithm off a little bit because, you know what I'm saying, I've seen that. <laughs> but let me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so on that one, I think that's, I think that's a great point. Y'all make great points. This is a vibe check, so we want to keep it quick. Did y'all have anything else y'all want to add before we went on to the next one? Oh. Let's go. Uh, so let's do it. Um, hey, uh, the next story for the vibe check today, I'm checking y'all vibes on, uh, is we lost takeoff. Yeah. Um, Migos like changed the game. Uh, like to me, as much whatever we call mumble rap, Migos legitimized it. Mumble rap became its own thing because of how well, to, in, in my eyes, Migos was able to execute that. Takeoff was considered one of the better lyricists out of Migos, and so hip hop we lost. We lost another, yeah, yeah. So we we definitely lost a whole, you know, another uh, piece of greatness from our culture and and losing Takeoff. Uh, and with these type of tragedies, social media is what it is. We hear a lot of crazy <laughs> shit. We hear a lot of goofy shit. Um, but I want from from y'all perspective, uh, with with Takeoff's passing. What are some of the worst takes that you've heard, and what are some of the best takes that you've heard? Um, I'll go first. The the best takes that I heard is any take that's telling you 
love your people. Any, any anybody saying that? If it, like you post that, like you got like you, I'm I'm liking saying because like that's that's essentially what you know this. I mean, because if you look at the situation and, and the way that these things play out, one day you here, one day you go. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right, it's right, really right. that simple. And so love people that's close to you. The second um the the, the takes that, that I'm tired of hearing and I cannot stand, I think it's terrible, is when people say rap is the worst, is 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 the most dangerous occupation out there or whatever. People not being killed rapping. Niggas ain't dying like on stage. Or, you know what I'm saying, getting shot up in the studio for spitting lyrics. You feel me? Like, this is a symptom of the violence that just plagues Blacks' communities, period. Rappers being Black people don't, you know what I'm saying, like, that, like with their attachment to their people, their attachment to their community, it just so happens that they get placed in circumstances where they can lose their life in ways that us, I guess, normal people also get caught up in. I got I, my cousin Marlon, Marlon Randolph, rest in peace to this day. You know what I'm saying? Lost his life the same way. You know what I'm saying? Just like niggas, he was somewhere else when niggas was shooting and he got hit. So, you know, that's that's my say. Go ahead, Toya. Uh, I say best takes uh, are the ones that have, so a lot of people have been like, you know, save your, you know, instructions for how to play dice and save your instructions for how to walk around as a black man or as a black person in the hood or how we need to change the perspective on that because nigga, we already know how to do that. Y'all not telling us nothing new. It's a doggy dog world out there. It's just kind of thick like that. So save those lectures. Heard that a lot. I also heard, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, rap music is not the issue. You know what I'm saying? And the only people, the only time we have these conversations and turn our back on shit that has elevated our culture, has gotten us out of, you know what I'm saying, dire situations, has allowed us to unify us when something bad happens. You know what I'm saying? Y'all always want to shit on what we got. And so that's kind of trash. And so I felt that. But I think the best kind of angle and take on this thing is a stance on masculinity, right? And I think people who are having real conversations because everybody wants to be like, y'all want to phenomenalize, you know, gun violence in the black community when guns are a, a USA problem. And I agree with that a lot. So then we have to dig deeper, zoom in a little bit more and figure out the next common denominator, right? Because right. it's not gun accessibility. That's not what's unique about this. It is the fact that men are doing the shoot. It is the fact that masculinity, that ego, that power tripping, that flexion and shit like that is what leads that type of shit. Exactly. It leads to the apex of this violence or it leads to the logic that violence is the answer in the first place, i.e. these school shooters, Mm -hmm. i.e. these mass shooters. There's the pattern right there. And I think Mm -hmm. that's been the best take. I think the worst take has probably been uh, some of the stuff that I listed above. I, I think, you know, we've, of course, there's a lot of people who are trying to have the prolific conversation about intercommunal violence. And we have to have that conversation. We have to keep having that conversation. We have to be honest about that conversation because this shit is sad. But just like we said with Kyrie, you got to watch how you get there because some Mm -hmm. of it slides into black on black crime, niggas being stupid, killing niggas, old same old niggas Mm -hmm. doing niggas shit type of conversation. And that's when you start sounding like them. And that's Mm -hmm. where it starts to get dangerous. Right. And so I think that there has to be, a, a more of a standstill. We need standstill moments in this community. Be honest with y'all. We need standstill moments about this community, but not because black on black crime is so dynamic. We need them because we are hurting each other. We right. need them because as a unit, as a group, as a population, I, I hope Latinos, I hope Asian folk, I hope white people are having conversations about how they hurt the people closest to them. Because yeah. that shit is some shit that has to find redress regardless of how we want to package it. 
and presented to and betwixt other people. We need to have an inside conversation with ourselves. But that's just my take. Straight up, Lee. Yeah, mine is just uh, from, from the worst is shit, a repackaging of what kind of what Toya said, but specifically on the black on black crime. Just to see the way that we can re re remanufacture, recycle, and re put out a whole bunch of different sentiments that pathologizes black people as being uh, uniquely violent or just uh, inherently violent and always want to kill each other and a sequencing question that we can't get mad about, you know what I'm saying? Them killing us, if we killing us. And yeah. you start to see just a whole bunch of reductionist conflict management. And, and really all centered around black on black crime and centered around mm-hmm. the notion of black on black this and black on black that that doesn't take into account that a lot of the statistics across crime and violence is pretty similar across different racial backgrounds and even if you want to take into account the 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 slightly higher percentage that black people kill each other amongst white people i think that you still have to think about like the environment and think about the ways in which scarcity of resources you know what i'm saying think right. about how like 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 policy and practice plays into it the best take you feel me that i got from toya that toya had shared to the group that i feel like you know i was gonna get myself credit i to check out my youtube video about specifically you feel me hip-hop culture and, and black on black crime so the best take was your take nigga is that what you about to say the best take is your take if, if i'm not going to take my take of course i'm gonna say i got the best take i, I, I feel like i had to <laughs> about that you feel me shout out to uh tire y'all uh, at, at thesis on twitter um he says that it's really disturbing to see people ask why take off the shooting dice when the broader issue is easy access to guns, ego, and people who don't respect the weight of what it means to shoot, which is reinforced by our culture because guns equal masculinity. So really thinking about the the, the overall data, you feel me, that most of these uh, shootings are done by individuals between 18 and, and 30 um, in the burbs, in the hood, in the reservation, in the trailer park white people, black people, Mexican people, thinking about like why is something particular about young men doing, like being at the end of these guns, you know what I'm saying? And kind of going back to what Toya is talking about, like the mixture of access of guns with the the, the idea that possessions of guns equal manhood, masculinity, equal your ability to be able to exert your dominance on somebody else, was ultimately one way or another, may it be instant gratitude or it be long-term, you feel me? I got some bodies, so I got some, you know what I'm saying, some mm-hmm. chips on my sleeve. I got some, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it's something there. All right. So great points. Get to the last story in this vibe check. And that is. One more time. RIP to take off though. Definitely. RIP to take off. And the last thing I would say on, on it is that, it is kind of freaky weird to see some of the clips that that he like the, the recent interviews he just did like drink club you know yeah. like just seeing just seeing i'm getting your flowers right now you know what i'm saying uh just 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 seeing a lot of that stuff now you feel me and even how like the TikTok algorithm is seeing all of the videos on TikTok that's been made about about takeoff before he passed away type shit like videos from months ago people spit take verses and reacting like the amigos and doing so it's just really to see his impact on our culture has been kind of just kind of wild 28 years old yeah and, and, and i'm about to be i'm about to be 35 in like a week 28 years. so we both clocked in at june 18th you know what i'm saying so that also just that's crazy yeah. wow 
but but even just as an older nigga who you know we got different relationships with younger hip hop. Yeah. I felt like, you know what I mean, Migos had put me in a position to respect the younger generation. You know what I'm saying? So when you talking out, about when you see the mumble rap, I was like, I can get with these niggas. I think I was in grass school. Yeah. I was in weight kind of transitioning out of that, about to get my big girl job. And I started feeling like, am I old? Is it because yeah. I can't get with some of these other niggas and what they and then Migos came out. Like, oh, yeah. 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 Inflation, these politicians, it's some nonsense. But a recent New York Times article pointed out that uh, while inflation and grocery prices are rising, grocery prices are rising, um, corporations are also seeing record profit, record profit, which means that even though grocery prices are rising, it's not just so they could maintain and exist as a business. They're literally rising to the point where they're making more money now, you know what I'm saying, than ever before. Because record profit means <laughs> we've making the most money that we've made in the past. Uh, so that there's so we see direct evidence of companies and corporations specifically using inflation as a way to just charge people for more shit because they making money, they're not hurting. Just so it, it, public service announcement. There is no corporation out there struggling right now. Corporation. I mean, we ain't talking small business. We're talking about the big boys. They are straight. With that being said, how does that make how does that change how y'all view the inflation conversation in terms of blame? Right? In terms of outrage. Where, where does your mind go with the inflation conversation when we now see that corporations that setting these prices? Or, 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 you know what I'm saying? Again, making millions. Yeah, <laughs> First, I, I want to make sure it's clear that we can retweet everything being said about the food industry and the grocery industry and say that about gas, right? Ex- Exxon, Conoco, uh, uh, a, a bunch of other major hitters in the gas industry also reported record-breaking profits over this next last this last year, which has caused Joe Biden to be like, yeah, we finna come tax y'all niggas. We about to start increasing right. the amount of taxation we have on y'all because y'all are just big kicking it over here. And this is where it becomes kind of it's so violent to the average person. You ask the question, like, where do we look? Where do we, who, does it shape who we're pointing the blame at and who we're looking at? You know, truth comes out that Joe Biden is really not, you know, fumbling the economy messing up like a lot of the narration from conservatives and from Republicans will have us to believe. Instead, it is these businesses that are gouging. And because they have necessities, they have things that we have to function with, things like gasoline, things like food, they get to just say, you know what? The cost of production is going up. Everything is going up. Every price point from beginning to end of production, from farm to table or from, you know, uh, oil field to uh, the gas pump is going up. And so we just got to raise our prices. And because they know people need it, they know people are not going to scrutinize that shit. They know that you know if gas prices going up for me. Yeah, it's going. It must be costing you more in gas to fill up that big eighteen wheeler to get the stuff from Edison. So because they're relying on us not being able to press them, they're being able to go behind the curtain and do all types of weird shit to you know what I'm saying. Justify 
how we live and what we're paying for. You know what I'm saying? So that's, I think, the shadiest part is the fingers don't go to the president. I think all of the fingers go back to the businesses and corporations because greed is uh, MF. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Lee? Uh, I want this. Can, 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 can they see the video? This video? I'm put it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see it. Yeah, sure. my video. Sure, this video. That's my girl, Katie Porter. I don't even ride for politicians, but she'd be honest. When she pull out, a hey, thank you. Can you see Katie it? Porter? Is, yeah. yeah, I gotta put it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put it on the big screen, but first, I'm gonna say this Katie Porter is the only politician that I follow on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> she'd be on it. Hey, let me tell you something. Y'all finna see a, a, a beat down. According to this chart, what is the biggest driver of inflation during the pandemic? The blue is the, the dark blue is the recent period. It would be corporate profits. And what is that percentage? It is 54%. And that number does stay that level of high if you update that number to more recent numbers as well. So over half of the increased prices people are paying are coming from increases in corporate profits. Yes, the unit price index is reflected in corporate profits as opposed to other costs. And how does that compare to historically, to other periods of inflation or uh, over other periods of economic time? As reflected there and in other analysis, it is significantly higher in this recovery, 11.5%. And what is it today? Uh, 53%. So I want to make sure everyone in America understands this chart. What is a unit labor cost? The cost of wages and an associated right. work cost. So we could just wages. What is a non-labor input cost? Uh, a variety of things, including um, maintenance and in, in investments. Okay, so I, I have to buy the buy the stuff to make the widget. I have to have a factory. I have to keep the lights on. I have to hire someone to make the widget. That's this stuff. And this is what I add on yes. on top. Yeah, it's it's I think I think I think that when you ask me kind of uh, what what's going on here, stating it simply, we see that record profits is wage stuff, and a lot of <laughs> the front line workers, a lot of the essential workers that was putting their lives on the line, bringing COVID back to their family members and their loved ones mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody got bread and got milk and got water. We recognize those people was being screwed over. You feel me? Right. A lot of times when we think about the, the, the way that we use propaganda of labor and class right. propaganda to be like unskilled work, unskilled work, unskilled work, a lot of mm -hmm. the unskilled work has driven these record high profits. And I think that the video I did show was giving you experts, I feel like, showing the exact breakdowns of what you was getting at Toya. So they justified as being like, well, oil was going up. So if oil was going up, that means that everybody has to pay a little bit more. Well, we see from that chart that that is the propaganda that is used to be able to drive up the light blue to make right. it where it is, to run up the run up the numbers when in actuality a lot of the production cost hasn't gone up 500 percent or hasn't gone up this much percent. And just like it's crazy. So I know that the last thing is what groceries. I, I got some numbers right here. Flour has went up 45 percent in the past year. Chicken mm -hmm. breast has went up 34 percent in the last year. Eggs have gone up 58% in the last year. Coffee has went up 30% in the last year. You know what I'm saying? This comes from the uh, BLS source. You feel me? And then I seen uh, today, too, that uh, chicken, the, the price of turkeys for this Thanksgiving is up over 70% since last year. <laughs> Yo, and, and so, so this is the thing. Um, what's frustrating about this is that 
to be clear, the record profit aspect and, and like being and inflation being driven by profit aspect, it, it should be understood as simply as, as simple as this. If if companies were only raising prices to match inflation, profit would plateau. Because they're raising prices to be able to say, okay, this is covering inflation, and then this is so we could break even. Whatever that is. Right. What's happening is the fact that it's record profit is that they're increasing it to a point where they're making more money now than they've ever made before. Meaning that they're going beyond what's necessary for them to operate as a corporation. Beyond what's necessary just to meet profit margins, right? Beyond what's necessary to break even. Beyond what's necessary even just to like say, hey, we on the plus side, right? The second part of the, the second thing that's even more frustrating than that is the fact that we'll still hear the same arguments about politician and Joe Biden being responsible for groceries being high. Yeah. People will still dialogue about inflation from the perspective of, well, the this person you voted for, it's their fault that inflation is high. Go ahead, Tony. No, I mean this is the political illiteracy that you know a lot of industries are banking on, right? Is that if we don't really have more complex and nuanced conversations about who shareholders are, who constituents are, what's happening in a lot of these conversations, then we always kind of point at the wrong people until it's too late. We always call our senators and our politicians not to tell them to hold these corporations more accountable, but just to say, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, they getting their cuts. Right to protect these industries, they get they cuts to make sure they protect the oil industry. They get they cuts to make sure they protect the corn industry. They get they cuts to make sure they protect the dairy industry. And that's because nobody's saying y'all need to be holding. How much are y'all taxing them? We're not having those conversations. We just mad at people. We just tweeting representatives, and they like, oh, it's so crazy. Well, there's nothing we can do. Well, it's just kind of hard times. Well, the Fed could just raise the interest rates. It's kind of a very flippant response to it because right. there nobody's pressing them to say no. We need to be holding these companies. These, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I won't say nobody's doing those conversations. Yeah. Let's talk about you know, all yeah, the right. people. You know, boots on the ground doing the activism work to get in there, but those voices are often muffled, or there's not enough people lining with them because, again, the level of political political literacy that we have, just the, the well is not that deep, and so it's troubling because I feel like I've had the thought, like, damn, man, what if these prices never go back down? Like, I buy a lot of turkey meat. I'm a, I'm a big rap girl. I like I like turkey wraps. You know, I make those a lot at the crib. They easy, high protein, whatever, whatever. And to look at a pound of turkey costs $10, $12. Like, bruh, out of a pound, I can really only make for a decent amount of protein that I'm trying to intake like two or three wraps. Terry so, says she preaching. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> appreciate it, Ter- uh, Tracy. Shout out to you. Tracy. Uh, I said Tracy Perry. I said Terry. I read that. Yeah. I was like, P. Perry. Shout out to the boy. But it just, that is when it becomes perplexing. And I become very nervous that because we don't know how the, the strings are being pulled and who's getting what cuts and how shit's really working and how much shit really costs, they're going to be able to tell us anything. And they never going to bring them prices back down because this is the new normal of how it works because we don't know enough to challenge otherwise and say, nah, that shit needs to be at this price. You know, it's just, it's rough. I feel like we're stuck. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like what you have, what y'all just heard says do is illustrate the reason why conservatives spend so much money for bureaucracy, so much money with interest groups and lobbyists, making sure what is taught in the classrooms it continues to blame poor people for all the use in our economy. When you yeah. think about the way that cost of the, the concept of minimum wage and the concept of cost of living was set up originally. And the way that we think about it in 2022, we will literally justify people making minimum wage just so we can say you're supposed to not have a decent cost of living because you make minimum wage. That is literally a result to me of like education and making it where a lot of the big, the big, the big, the big corporate elite people that's, that pay a lot of money for influence and policies to get made. They the reason why we don't want to hear nothing about no. It, you're mixing something about Marxist or socialism. They like, ah, the devil, because they recognize that class consciousness going to come at a cost of recognizing like, damn, how come my, like, I thought it's a chart I've seen. It said that since, 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 since 2010, we see that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, all them, they went from man being like 2 billion to 222 billion. Yeah. And, we see, and we see the minimum wage to stay 725. That's, how? that's a bit. <laughs> like, that's a bit. How do what? That's a bit. I'm gonna find it before we, before we get out of this real fast. I got it in my phone card. I know I'm doing a video about it. Well, no, nah, but we about to. Well, this yeah. is the vibe checks. We we we, we want to get to the chop. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure. Now, if when you bring it out, bring it out because we definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's right there. Right. Elon Musk, 2012, two billion. 2022, 220, 21 billion. Jeff Bezos wealth in 2012, 18 billion. Uh-huh. Jeff Bezos wealth in 2022, 134 billion. Warren Buffett's wealth in 2012, 44 billion. Just built his wealth in 2012, 101 billion dollars. The federal minimum wage in 2009, $7.25 an hour. The minimum wage in 2022, still $725 billion an hour. Five and they mad about $15 an hour. We're talking about recording record profit during during inflation, but now $15 an hour is too much. Stop playing. Wow. Uh, y'all know, like two billion to two hundred and twenty-one billion, right? But he still, but look, he still has to borrow a billion dollars just to buy Twitter. That's a whole another story. That's a whole another conversation. Hey, Mango Slade off for pulling up for the political chop up. You know our our way. We kind of get into some of these political topics. We really appreciate it. Right. We keep our finger on the pulse and make sure we checking in with y'all to see if y'all see what we see. You know what I'm saying? If so, y'all see what we see, yes. <laughs> So, uh, with that being said, that is the vibe check. Yeah. Uh, we we good on that. Now let's get into this. You know what I'm saying? We the Supreme Court is on there for a reason. Toya, let's get into this culture chop. Actually, before I toss it to myself, I'm gonna talk and toss it to Lee. But what I will say before we get there, shout out to this consciously uh, uh, uh merch that's about to come out. We got the professional shit talker hoodie on. I'm about to grab me one of them. Don't worry about it. It's coming. So, but uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lee because before we even get into what's happening now with the Supreme Court and affirmative action, we've come a long way with this issue, right? All the way up to it being codified in places like the Supreme Court. So give us some history. Give us some background consciously. What is it about the affirmative action that has shaped our society so much and gotten us to the point where we're negotiating its uh, efficacy in the Supreme Court now? How we get here, man? The uh, before 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 I read y'all, y'all know y'all know my motto: research over me search. Before I read this though, from uh Britannica, I feel like coming coming straight from you feel me like some dictionary type shit. 
uh, it's important to recognize there was a a reality or status quo that had politics that had policies that was incentivizing the exclusion of black people and the exclusion of different people based off of identities. And the affirmative action literally was uh, Toya said the word algorithm uh, when we was uh, coming up with this. So it's really being able to try to. Uh, uh, get some things in institutions algorithm that that, that that accounts for the way in which it's baked into the algorithm to be exclusionary and or discriminate against people. But mm-hmm. affirmative action in the United States is an active effort to improve employment and educational opportunities for members of minority groups uh, and for women. Affirmative action began as a governing remedy to affect the long-standing discrimination against such groups as consisted of policies, programs, and procedures that give limited preferences to minorities, women, and job hiring admissions, institutions of higher education, the award-winning government contracts, and other social benefits. What we recognize is that the typical criteria of affirmative action are race, disability, gender, ethnic origin, in age. Before I go on and read, this recognizes and acknowledges that a lot of institutions in our country practice exclusion on the on the on the identities of disability, race, gender, ethnic origin, and age. So when you start talking shit about identity politics uniquely, it is important to acknowledge that identity politics has always already been a tool used in America that has been able to dictate who gets what, when, where, and how. Uh, I'll keep on reading just a little bit more just to give like the context of some more history and then, you know what I'm saying, pass it over to you. But affirmative action was initiated by the administration of President Lyndon B. Johnson in 1963. He was president from 1963 to 69 in order to improve the opportunities of African-Americans while civil rights legislation was dismantling the legal basis of discrimination. The last sentence I'll read is that the federal government began to institute affirmative action policies under the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 mm-hmm. and an executive order of 1965. Before I pass it over to you, sis, what I know as a diversity and inclusion facilitator, <clears throat> what I know as a researcher of diversity and inclusion and as a debater, when we talk about all efforts of DEI is acknowledging the failures of integration and the failures of a lot of these civil rights policies. So when we pass it over to Toya and we think about the ways in which affirmative action potentially can be overturned, it's important to also acknowledge everything that is implicated. Absolutely. Um, we've gotten some background. We've gotten some context. We've text. We've gotten some important things to kind of keep in mind as we shape and kind of fill out this conversation. But what we know about affirmative action as it's materialized itself, right, even as an offshoot of things like the civil rights movement, that is that it very uniquely has helped and assisted. It was created in response to black issues, but it very much has assisted and allowed for Asian Americans and white women in particular to gain access to institutions, institutional powers, privileges, resources that they wouldn't have otherwise as well. So it very much was an investment in the betterment for everybody, despite the perception that it is not. Now, I want to kind of get into some of the major uh, kind of talking points, perspectives, ideals, and we're going to get the chat back on here in a minute uh, to to just kind of tease about and see if we agree or disagree, because these are things that I've actually heard from people on both sides of the issue, right? That I was surprised to hear from both Black people but also white folks and Asians as well, and a lot of conservatives. The first is that affirmative action is de facto racism, right? Or that it's actually de jure racism. De jure meaning it is a type of issue or uh, kind of um, 
idiosyncrasy in the law that is justified justified legally, right? And so it is something that has been put into place to reconcile or mediate a certain issue, but it's kind of created another one. It's created the same issue it was created to mitigate. So do you all think, and here's, the, of course, the obvious reasons why people are saying affirmative action is racist, is that the underlying kind of logic there is that Black people are not intelligent enough, not capable enough, not equipped enough to go and thrive inside these communities, that they need a hand up, that they are in such a position of dereliction and disposition and incapability and capacity that they are unable to participate. So it's a smack in the face of Black people. I hate it. Affirmative action because it sets up a world where then they have a self-fulfilling prophecy that they need somebody else's help in order to get up, get out, and be successful. What's yeah. the take on this particular position? That hey, give me a private chat, Damo, for uh, forty-five seconds. You know what I'm saying? Uh, forty-five minutes, man. But when people yeah. say that, when 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 both black and white people push back against affirmative action, it is a result of racial illiteracy, the inability to read and write situations pertaining to race. The reason why it was important that we laid down the historical context of affirmative action, it shows you that black people being unintelligent has never been the issue. Never, never. Never been the issue. When black people being excluded from institutions of higher education, being excluded from the law, being excluded from other public places, it was never because we didn't have the mental capacity or the intellectual capacity. It was because of discrimination and exclusion. So when we point out uh, uh, the University of Oklahoma or Harvard was constructed to be a predominantly white institution that was made for the access and the at the expense and the in the exclusion of other people. It is acknowledging that these institutions have preference baked inside of them for white people. Yeah. So when you say like, man, we we ain't smart enough. I don't need nothing. I, I don't need nothing. I'm just as good as I can do it as much as the white man can do this thing and the other. It, it to to me, it literally glosses over how access is always influenced based off of identity. The reason why they made affirmative action is because all these identities, regardless of their intellect, will be excluded. Bro, that's why I feel like some of the most revolutionary shit that I heard was from Stokely Carmichael. And I read his book on Black Power. And actually, before I read his book on Black Power, I read Look Out Whitey, Black Power is Gonna Get Your Mama by Julius Lester where he introduced me to Stokely Carmichael's stance on the Civil Rights Act. And that's that it wasn't an act for Black people. Mm -hmm. We knew we should be able to drink at whatever fountain we wanted to. We knew we should be able to use whatever restroom we wanted to. The Civil Rights Act was for white people to tell other people, stop, stop, like, get out these people way when they're trying to use the same facilities that you're using as a citizen of the United States of America. And so this argument about like, well, this is saying that black people ain't smart enough. No, it's saying that if we don't put forth a effort, if we don't actively work to make sure that black people or, or other minorities are getting opportun- uh, opportunities that uh, that you know white people get, they won't get it. George said it. George said it in a very nice way. I'm gonna keep it a stack. If we don't say, hey, let's make sure everybody's getting a fair shot, everybody won't get a fair shot. And we right. know this. 
You know what I mean? We we I mean even with affirmative action, there is such disparities in high in, in like those extremely high paying jobs, disparities in education, is disparity across the board, the disparities still exist even with affirmative action. So so the the idea but, but, but and that's why so it's like the, the idea that it that affirmative action exists to pander to people who think like uh uh black black people, for example, aren't smart. No, it's to push back against the hiring managers that assume that 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 mindset does exist. But the people you attributed it to, you got it completely wrong. It is the people who tell you that we don't need affirmative action who believe that black people ain't smart enough. Right. It's the people who tell you we, we had the president as a result of affirmative action. 40, 43 presidents literally was the president because they were given preference in the race that excluded other individuals. Yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Like myth of meritocracy, a lot of our country lost in the South Senate, and I feel sorry for them. So if we recognize that we have to work five times harder to get X, Y, and Z, that is acknowledgement that we're not being lazy and acknowledgement as well that the exhaustion that niggas have to go through to get access to the same institutions that a lot of individuals have because of nepotism, because your granny gave $50,000 and you, you feel me? Like when you think about that, well, I think it's 52% of Harvard students are already on, on the, like, you feel me? All right. It's uh, only 52% or on a, or, or some random uh, sports scholarship that they really don't play. Or you feel me? It's just like, what are we doing? What are we saying here? That's affirmative action. Uh, one thing I do want to get back to is the comment that asked about the book you referred to. Plug at the top of your response, you started talking about some author, some book, and somebody was like, "What was that book again?" So drop the the context so people gonna do some uh, external reading. Michael, man, man, I forget how I, f- I forget how this this book ended up in our house in Oklahoma, but it was called uh, "Look Out, Whitey: Black Power's Gonna Get Your Mama" <laughs> um, by Julia. No, no bullshit by Julius Lester. That was. That was the first, that was the book that introduced me to Stokely Carmichael. And then um, Stokely Carmichael's book on Black Power is it, kind of, then you got Revolutionary Suicide by uh, 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 Huey. Huey P. Newton. Yeah. So, it's, you know what I'm saying? But, but, the, but the book I started out with is Look Out Whitey, Black Power is Going to Get Your Mama by Julius Lester. Beautiful. Jeff's Kiss, right? <laughs> 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 so, I, I, you know, as we have this conversation, one of the things that we, you know, we think about when associating um, affirmative action with racism is the idea that we are in some capacity in a post-racial society. And I think that is a move that t- far too often different politicians, different black people, because we have Barack Obama as a president, because you can walk into an admissions office and find a black person. Because you see these different people on these campuses and in these institutions, we start to feel a whole lot better about kind of what's happening. You know, black women are more educated than they've ever been before. Black men are closing that gap and starting to get their degrees at a much higher rate. And so we have this weird kind of impression that we've gotten there and we've achieved enough. So we don't have to set up in the system ways for individuals to navigate. And I think that does us a great disservice because what do we see time and time again is that black people are not in positions like literal positions in these institutions that matter enough not at a high enough rate to be like oh we can step back now niggas will help themselves through the system or there's enough black people to ensure that these racist right. uh, sexist ableist things you know are happening there's enough disabled people getting access to jobs now where we don't have to worry about ableism there's enough of these stop checks these stop gaps in the system and that's just not the case 
right? I think still we look at time and time again the way that 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 a lot of times these issues have been able to be perpetuated because we're not there yet, baby. I know it feels good. I know we got these diversity days on campus. I know we got we calling consciously to come on campus now. Look how progressive we are. Look at all oh, of that shit is cute, but we're not nearly as far as <laughs> that matter, right? I'm just I'm just saying. And so uh, a lot of the rest of the conversations I'm gonna hit a pivot that have also been happening have been fearful of the reversing of affirmative action leading to a return to legal segregation. Uh, a lot of people have mm-hmm. expressed that when we start to, uh, you know, we had Clarence Thomas uh, question diversity. What's the point of it, right? That we don't send people to school. Uh, you, I don't see that he, he was quoted as saying, this is a loose paraphrasing, that he doesn't see the value in diversity because we don't send people to school. We're not sending these kids to school for social groups and cliques and clubs. Wow. Or, Whatever. What is really to be gained by being in, in, in diverse classrooms? You're going to learn chemistry. So mm-hmm. learn the chemistry and go to the damn engineering school and go get the degree and go be an engineer. It's basically what he has said. And so this is creating a world, of course, where the white folks going to be with white folks. Asian folks going to just try to apply to the Asian schools. Black people are going to kind of go to the places where they feel like they're going to be celebrated and not tolerated. And we end up in a weird place where we have a return to de facto segregation. Do you believe that that is the case with the repeal of affirmative action? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Where, can I say this point? first? Can I say this first? Fuck Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and the reason why I say fuck Clarence Thomas is because even before we get into that conversation, like Clarence Thomas' wife was exposed to be a part of a, 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 a cabal of white nationalists that were actively working to overturn Joe Biden being elected. Like, and nobody, and, 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 I mean, I ain't gonna say nobody, but the fact that this man is still like able to, in, to, to flex this type of influence and make these type of arguments on the Supreme Court when his wife is known to actively work with Trumpites. She's a MAGAite, a Trump tard, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. We know that she was that she was texted in the background like, hey, what can we do? What do we need to do? This is the wife of a Supreme Court justice. Kyrie Irving just got suspended for five games. Whether or not the Nets make the playoffs ain't got shit to do with how we understand the Constitution. But this man is in the same house as as this woman who's actively in the background texting presidential advisors about what needs to be done to overturn the election of Joe Biden after the person that she voted for lost. But 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 Clarence Thomas I think is still is. sitting here making hold on hold on Lee hold on Lee Clarence Thomas is still out here getting he's still able to say from an unbiased perspective what's the point of diversity? You know they're giving them more what's going on here? Yeah I just, I just know that when I when I learned about what what happened between Clarence Thomas and um, Anita Hill, and when I learned how uh, Clarence Thomas sensationalized race, sensationalized him being a black man to get himself out of those allegations, mm-hmm. and then when I was able to go back and see the footage about how the uh, Bush administration in many different instances um, pushed him through as a as a notion of diversity. Come on, it's kind of funny that he's now trivializing diversity. It, it, 
after he's benefited from it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been able to legitimize his perspective on a lot of controversial issues as the black man in the room, right? He's been the canary in the coal mine for a whole bunch of bullshit because he's been able to be that diverse voice. If the Negro, we have a black, we can't be racist. We can't be problematic. The Supreme Court can't be because we have the perspective of a black conservative. So those are the nuances we need to balance out a lot of those perspectives. And what we found nine times out of 10, what do we know? Everybody say it with me slowly. Skin folk. I mean, I, and, and I want to be clear about this. Mercy Hope says how close are we to sliding back to neo 1960s? The Supreme, like literally, Extreme. the Supreme Court holds more power. And hold, I mean, and, and just a little bit of context. Right now, there's a Supreme Court case that's discussing whether or not race can be used as a, uh, a, a deciding factor for admissions into college. Right. Right. Uh, hey, the reason why this. I got, I got go some discussion too. I say I go from, from reading, I stopped reading it. By the late 1970s, the use of racial quotas and minorities set society led to court challenges, affirmative action as a form of reverse discrimination. Does that sound familiar? The first major challenge was Regents of the University of California versus Bake in 1978 in which the Supreme Court ruled in the 5-4 that quotas may not be used to reserve places for minority applicants if white applicants are denied a chance to compete for those places. Although the court outlawed quotas programs that allowed colleges to use race as a factor in, admit, in making admission decisions, and two years later, fragmented court upheld the 1977 federal law requiring that 10% of funds for public, uh, for public works be allotted to minority, qualified minority contractors. The last thing I'll say is, we see how anti-blackness and how what Dr. Derek Bell talked about the interest convergence theory, and that a lot of shit don't really mean nothing to white folks, or to, to, don't mean nothing to white folks that it means to niggas until it impacts white people. What we recognize mm-hmm. in terms of this is that when we talk, talk about the quota system or talk about anything about affirmative action in like the uh, 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 higher education, mm-hmm. it's funny that it'll be like there was. 20% of the admissions that was 20 that was black, or 10% of the admissions that was black. And you had what's that white girl Fisher? No, Abigail Fisher in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't care that only 20% of the admissions was black. God damn it, one of those spots should have been mine. And I know I was more worthy to get in that spot than in that one of them niggas. I, I know that one of them damn niggas. Then it's just like, man, that's funny. Like, why that's because they care about reverse racism more than they care about real racism. But here's the gotcha, and there's a series of tweets that I'm gonna read real quick. Uh, Link Little Nick 8 said White women are very much unaware That they are the main beneficiaries of affirmative action I also find it extremely curious that Asians Think affirmative action doesn't apply to them Because a lot of this outcry has been from The Asian community who feels like they have Been excluded from access to Higher education because the Negros Are taking all their spots Uh, It might not at Harvard Where they make up 28% but it does Everywhere else the person then, somebody else then responds to them named Antimatter Data and says when the California UC system ended affirmative action, so this has been tried, right? There have been attempts to pull back affirmative action in independent institutions to see what the end results will be. When California UC system ended affirmative action, Asian acceptance rates doubled. Asians are going to fill those spots while white people think they're, the, the white people think they're going to get, right? So to me, this means two things. One, 
Asian Americans don't already have a good at all realistic context for how they've been helped in the system through assisted through systems of affirmative action. A lot of their positionality now has been distorted and taken out of perspective because you take up a lot of I think seven percent of a lot of public uh, institutions are occupied by Asian Americans were less than one point one point some odd percent are like the, just the numbers don't add up. So you are there is there is not good perfect representation, but meaningful representation of Asian Americans and public institutions and particularly in these college uh, spaces. But also it means maybe you up here rallying for the wrong side. You fell for it. You need to be standing with the niggas because what's going to happen, you know what I'm saying? And what white people need to recognize and, and, and more importantly, y'all standing with the right people because what's going to happen is y'all so busy trying to make sure we don't get those spots. Y'all not going to get them. More Asians are. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Based on statistically what we've seen happen at California UCs is that you're not about to get the end results you think you are. So there's one group misunderstanding and misinterpreting the power and the privilege they have because of the system and they want it to go away. Right. There's another group who wants the system to go away because they think they're about to benefit from the system when in reality, some of the same people they would talk against uh, have increased hate toward, have developed terrible relationships toward in our society. I'm talking about Asian hate. Those same people are going to take the spot you thought you was going to get with the elimination of affirmative action. So it's a lose-lose for both of y'all. And niggas are sitting back here having to fight as hard as they've always had to to get their spot anyway. So not much changes for us, but a lot changes for y'all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It shit is crazy. So, uh, so really the last thing I want to say about the whole shit is that this is, this is really a question of when people ask about why this voting matters and all of that, the people that you put in charge end up determining who end up in the Supreme Court. And the fact that Donald Trump was able to get, what, three Supreme Court justices? That's why Clarence Thomas feel comfortable to sit up there and be like, yeah, what's the issue with diversity? It's because there's more people that sit next to him that agree with those type of statements. Within It's this thing called the Overton window. I'm not going to be long-winded, but it's this thing called the Overton window. And it that reflects uh, how comfortable certain sentiments are across the general public, right? And the more aspects of our government that conservatism is able conservatism is able to control, then the more anti-black, anti-immigrant, xenophobic, racist, misogynist statements fit more within the Overton window. It moves further to the right in a sense where we're now more accepting of racist, dangerous, you know what I'm saying, like anti-intellectual stances than we were in the past while we thought we was moving towards this more progressive, uh, he said Overton from Living Singer, this right. more progressive, this more progressive uh, uh, ideology. So so while people literally was like, well, maybe we moving towards a post-racial America with the election of Barack Obama, white people were clear to let you know, no, we're not, welcome to 20 fucking 22, and the mm. more racist, like we're more okay with racist shit than we were in 2013 and 2014. Absolutely. Um, shout out to Savannah in the comments. Like, the more y'all turn this message up and build up other black educated people to speak out with this message, I promise y'all become the leaders of an awesome movement. That's the goal. Uh, maybe not necessarily to be the leader of a movement, but to be a part of a movement that's already happening with a lot of people who are deciding not to be politically inert and socially inert anymore. And they're waking up and getting in there. So shout out to people like you finding us and doing you know, the active part of creating this patchwork, this network that we're trying to create with Chop Nation, where it's people educated and unafraid to go out there and talk their shit and to ask bigger questions. Um, my last question was going to be, are we ready for a world without affirmative action? But I think the biggest question, the obvious answer is no. 
we as black people might be ready for it because we've always already been in a disposition. We've always been in a position that to fight harder. Leave it up to a lot of us. We don't know shit about affirmative action and how it sincerely helped our situation because we didn't have to fight as hard as we ever have to try to get in these systems and still be five times better and 10 times more ahead and a thousand times more equipped to navigate in these spaces. Uh, and so obviously we ready for it. We just gonna keep living in the anti-black world and we gonna keep fighting. We gonna keep doing what we gotta do to survive and navigate these institutions like we always have. But do y'all think society is ready for a world, that other institutions are ready for a world uh, without uh, affirmative action? Do y'all think that, that they're gonna regret it? And if so, why? Um, I, I think that the only way that uh, mainstream white America will regret it is if there is some residual impact on the bottom line. So like if, 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 if black students in the general population at already lacking diversity, white institutions in the power five conference, and that starts to impact, you know, a lot of these five star five blue chip athletes going mm-hmm. to the Prairie View and Jackson States, the TSUs, the Gremlins, I think there will be, you know what I'm saying? There will, there, there will be an impact. I think when we ask the question that was really like black people, we ready? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll manage, we'll figure it out. Our white people are ready, you know what I'm saying? And what we, and, and to me, I feel like what we see in terms of doing like the work and looking at the data about emissions and doing the work on accessibility, we see that even when black people have the same experience and credentials as a white counterpart, we still get paid less and or not accepted. So, in the world of affirmative action being gone. It's like, what does those desperate incomes or desperate impacts look like? You feel me? So it's like, are white people ready? Nah, I, yeah. Um, I don't think they'll regret it. The answer is no. Um, I don't think we're ready for it, and I don't think they'll regret it. Primarily because they want what they like. What's beneficial to them is power that looks like they power. That's why you got black people that argue against affirmative action because they it is a handout. That's the reality of it. Because if somebody's not creating specific spaces for these groups of people, those spaces aren't made available for those people. Even, yeah. uh, e- even you know, properly, equally qualified individuals of color, uh, <laughs> they still, if, if there is not a conservative effort to say, let's make sure that these people get an opportunity, they won't get it. But what but what we see now is we're we're now with we're now at a, at a state and where our society where we're okay with that because you know because affirmative action is a part of whatever liberal agenda black people are starting to think that well just being against the liberal agenda is enough so yeah. I I have no problem cutting off my nose to spite my face Come on. at the end of the day so I think ultimately even though it's going to be something that. Again, the same, just like the issue with abortion, right? Whether we're talking free speech, whether we're talking uh, affirmative action, these things are going to work to the detriment of Black people when they're when when they're no longer made accessible and made available for us to uh, uh, to benefit from. If there's not a concerted effort to give people of color an opportunity, then that space won't be made for them, regardless of merit. We don't live in a meritocracy. We live in a racist society built on the hierarchy of race. <laughs> That's a word. Hey, Mercy said white people won't regret it as long as they can live in their bubbles. The USA will all, was always meant to be a bubble for cishet white Christian men. And so, yeah, it's going to allow them to take their ball and go home. 
I think what's going to be interesting and what somebody else said, Amy said, uh, 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 let me find it, that if more of us create our own and they start to fall behind, they will regret it. And that's, I think, you know, the brain drain that they're going to see and start to experience that Lee was talking about. When people start taking their talents really and investing in these HBCUs, when they really start taking a lot of their capacity and going back and, you know, appealing to black institutions, we're going to come on the, on the up and up. Niggas going to find a way. It's going to be these other institutions that will suffer from brain brain drain, talent drain, creativity drain because of what black people contribute and add to their institutions in the first place. And now my mind, my too, if I say I want to say, it's not ironic that the more black people got degrees, the less valuable they became. It's also not ironic that in a lot of different states that there will used to be a diploma merit process for a lot of people to be lawyers. And that when black people started to become lawyers, that's when they instituted the bar. The bar a, lot yeah. white, Come on. a lot of white people back in the day, a lot of lawyers, period, did not have to go to get a bar. You know what I'm saying? It was like a diploma, like literally a diploma. Like, you got a diploma, you're good. And, 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 and like, stop, stop. I want to point out, uh, to Brandon Davis first, that's uh, Lee is playing. He got a soundboard. So the, you Ooh. are hearing other voices and shit, because that is the soundboard. Uh, there we go. Uh, the last thing I say though, and this is truly the last thing, is that affirmative action didn't even work in terms of meaningful <laughs> like, adding, like 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 adding an additional, you know, what I'm saying, population of minority people into the the host. It didn't even work like that, and they still mad at it. Yeah, basically, it's just the fact that it's like y'all making them. It ain't even like it's like it's this many more black people that's getting jobs now than ever before. No, it didn't work. Yeah. We still like we still are only a part of a quota, like the Rooney Rule and all that type of shit. It ain't getting more. It ain't the Rooney Rule in the NFL, which is the rule that says that they have to at least that that they have to uh, at least interview one of uh, one black coach for head coaching positions has not led to an increase in head black head coaches in the NFL, and people are still mad about it. Niggas still don't want us to have it, and it ain't even working the way it's supposed to work. All you Negroes do is complain, complain, complain. We let you drink out of our water fountains, you still complain. We let you, yeah. you take a shit in the same toilet, we took a shit in, and you still complain. You, We let you niggers read books next to our kids, you still complain. We you do that too well. You do that too well. Niggers, we can't do nothing. All you're going to do is whine and cry. So we might as well do, we might as well repeal every damn thing we tried to do for you niggas ever. And just let your asses cry and whine because you're going to be some ungrateful niggers anyway. You do that too well. We we went to a place. I think we can just end it right there because that that was haunting. That was that was. Oh, see, that's what. It, see, what, see, see, <laughs> when I start talking that free thinking shit, that's when niggas want to cut me out. That's when hey, niggas want to cut me out. And, 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 look, you know, with that being said, oh, hey, yeah. if you was watching, if you was watching on the consciously chop up, make sure you subscribe. Or I said the consciously chop up, the consciously Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to the con or the chop up show on. YouTube. If you watching on the Chop Up Show YouTube, make sure you're on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, subscribe to the Conscious League. All of that. Uh, I am very, I am very much triggered by how comfortable he is with this language. That's that Brian Texas coming out in him. But we love y'all. Thank y'all for joining the part of the conversation. Y'all stay tuned. I call each other the N-word, and maybe these white folks will treat us better. To the end, you niggas don't know how to act. So if they want to take a nigga to jail, then shit, that niggas go to jail. Like tossing wake up in the morning looking forward for a nigga to go to jail because <laughs> niggas got to be locked up, you know. And and if you ain't I mean, locking up, 
this voice he doing is wild largely because my brain slipped to Charleston White just that fast. Like you start sounding like Charleston a little bit. So that's when it got complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Kanye said, what's the YouTube again? Just look up the Chapo show. If you're coming from the Chapo show on the YouTube, look up the the, the, the Chapo show. If you're coming from the Chapo show, just look up the kind to sleep. But make sure you follow everything so you don't miss a beat. Sometimes we go live and we only go live on our stuff. We ain't really fooling with these uh, YouTube. Sometimes we go live. He go live every other day having different conversations, posting new content on YouTube. Y'all need to catch that and then catch us on the backside. So just make sure you all the way plugged in. And on the way out, if you haven't hit a like, hit a love, hit a bell, fix it. You know, let's get on the same page with this thing. Do that, do that. With that, we will say we gon' see y'all, man. This is the chop up. We have to see in the city. We gon' slide. Bet I be there pronto. Me, my guys, we really lie. Lord, forgive me, pay my ties. Please don't have me reach inside.